Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson, and I am joined with a first-time visitor. I use that phrase because you, you have a similar background to me, and I'm certain you've heard that phrase before in your church service, a first-time visitor. Um, <laughs> Mickey uh, DeBerry. Mickey, welcome to our podcast. Thanks. Glad to be here. And um, we are talking about an unfortunate topic. Uh, a topic that I really don't want to talk about, but we need to. It needs to be talked about. It needs to see the light of day. And that's the idea of abuse within the church. Before we get that, um, share with us your testimony and, and kind of what God's brought you through and um, how you came to know the Lord and, and all of that. So I grew up in the Rockton, Illinois area. I did not grow up in a Christian home, uh, but the babysitter that my parents hired when I was a baby was a Christian, and she maintained an influence in my life until I was a preteen and she moved away. And so as a result of her influence in middle school, I started going to church. I went to a small Nazarene church in Rockton on Sunday mornings. I went to uh first assembly on wednesday night to the youth group and it was there that i first remember hearing the presentation of the gospel of jesus christ that he died for my sins was buried and rose again from the dead and that i could be forgiven by placing my trust in him and that's what i did that night Mm -hmm. uh life was not an easy road after that uh i left my father to cancer uh, there were several influential people in my life that moved away. And so uh, because of that, I started pursuing drugs and alcohol in high school. Uh, and uh, that brought me to uh, an independent Baptist church that had an addictions ministry where I went to Bible college. I uh, really learned the basics of the Christian faith, uh, how to walk with God. Uh, and yet, uh, I left fundamentalism because of the path that God had me on, uh, and I wouldn't change it for anything. And I'm thankful mm-hmm. for the investment that that church and those ministries have made in my life over the years. Yeah, you know, I grew up in a similar background where I grew up in fundamentalism, and I, I you know, uh, purposely walked away from that. Um, thanks to the Lord's leading and some, I think some good Bible teaching, but I, I, I don't feel like I'm bitter at that. I feel like that's part of the journey God had me on. And there's certain things that um, I was taught within the fundamental Baptist movement that I'm glad I was. Um, But at the same time, that's not where I'm at now. Yeah. And that's, that's what I would say is that, that in the fundamental movement, you learn some things that are absolutely essential to being a good Christian. And where you where you pick up those things, I'm thankful for what it taught me, yeah. and I'm thankful for the community that it gave me that allowed me to grow when I was there. Right. Uh, some people don't find acceptance in the in the fundamentalist community, and that's yeah. Uh, you know, I, I feel sorrow for them, uh, which is a touchy topic as to why. Sometimes it's personality, sometimes it's other things, and. But I recognize that it it is functional and helpful for some people, and that there are good people in it. Right, and there there are a lot of good people there, and, and I'm glad that 
Um, you know, some of them still consider me a friend. Kind of one of those Nicodemus things. I have to be at there at night. Uh, I have to wear sunglasses, a big hat, and a big overcoat. Uh, but some of them are still willing to, to be friends with me, and I appreciate that. And there, again, there are some things I think that, you know, growing up fundamentalist, I always heard about the evangelical church and how liberal they are. And, you know, I've come to find out some of their criticisms are correct. Um, I am glad that, you know, I did at least receive uh, a very firm foundation in biblical teaching about the inerrancy of Scripture and things like that. Um, that have served to ground me. In fact, the fundamentals of the faith um, are still true. Uh, Absolutely. Despite uh, what I think some overreach might be taking place in that. But anyway, uh, we're talking about abuse scripture. So I want to talk about, and unfortunately, I, I don't think we can talk about fundamentalism without talking about abuse in the church. But it's certainly not isolated to fundamental, independent fundamental Baptist churches at all, whether it's Southern Baptist or Presbyterian or Charismatic. Um, unfortunately, this, this is a problem that is um, almost at pandemic levels, I think. It's, ultimately, it's a people problem. Yeah. And so where you have groups of people with authority structures, you're going to have this problem. Right. And so the question is not, how do we prevent the problem? Though that's a good question to ask. How do yeah. we put up roadblocks so that this type of thing doesn't happen? But also, what are we going to do when it does happen? Right. And so I, I want to re revisit that. But first, I want to get some grounding in Scripture. Amos chapter 5, probably the most famous passage about the idea of justice. But verse 18, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear meet, met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is it not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the medley of your harps, I will not listen. But, verse 24, let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So here, uh, God is talking to not the Gentiles, not to the heathen, but to his people. And he's saying, why are you looking forward to a day when I return? Why are you looking forward to the day of the Lord? It's going to be horrible for some of you. This is not something that you should be happy about. In fact, he says, I don't want your offerings. I don't want your music. But instead, here's what I want you to do. Justice needs to take place. There's problems that need to be addressed. And similar, and another, another prophet, Isaiah echoes that, that same thing in Isaiah chapter 1 and um, says here, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared up and brought up, and they have rebelled against me. Verse 4, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly 
estranged. And in this whole chapter, basically, God is saying, I, 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 I am so tired of your rebellion. It says in verse 11, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings, incense and abomination to me, new moons and Sabbath, the calling of I, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. But instead, he says, verse 17, uh, or verse 15, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make, make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So here in these both these two passages, which are almost kind of mirror passages, God is saying, I don't want your useless worship if you're not willing to deal with injustice within your own ranks. Exactly. So we're dealing with this issue of abuse, not because we want to defame anybody. I'm not looking to uh, air our dirty laundry before the world. But I believe this is obedience to the scriptures, that we have to deal with the problems in our own house before we point the finger at the heathen, at the reprobate, at the Gentile, at the unsaved. And we, judgment starts at God's house. I learned that in my fundamentalist church. Yeah. So, um, Mickey, you, you've kind of dealt with this subject, um, unfortunately, kind of directly. So um, tell us about that, because, you know, it's something... You know, you read about in the newspaper, but it doesn't happen at my church, right? Yeah, well, when when the topic of sexual abuse and fundamentalism first came up, in my memory, it was a special that was run on 2020. Mm, yes, I remember that. On, uh, I can't remember their names, but it was a couple of young ladies and a couple of churches out on the East Coast. And... Uh, I felt empathy for the victims. Yeah. Uh, but it was one of those things that's horrible. It would never happen in my church. So that was my first exposure to it. Fast forward to 2018, and my wife and I have decided that we are going to leave our fundamentalist church. My wife and I had both come to the conclusion separately that the right thing to do was to tell our pastor that we were leaving. And, and if he asked, tell him why. And again, the answer to that was I had begun to see scripture over a course of many years through a, through a, Christ-centered, re historical, redemptive viewpoint. And mm. I felt that an outflow of that viewpoint was the centrality of 
God's redemptive purposes through Christ, specifically through the preaching of the Word. And if you got up to preach without mentioning the centrality of Christ, if if he wasn't the capstone or the cornerstone of your message in a real practical way, then I felt like you were doing the scriptures a disservice. And I felt that the pastor at the church was very man-focused, very... uh, He would come to the scripture and he would bring sermons like how to be blessed like Abraham. Mm. Or these are the 11 things Abraham did that caused God to bless him. Right. Um, And so more of a, if you want this outcome, then you have to do this, as opposed to you are fallen, believe the gospel. Yeah. So that's why we left. And about a year later, I was having a conversation with a friend. We were talking uh, about pornography and its rampant use in the church and sexual abuse in the church and he mentioned that there had been some cover-ups at my previous church and i said do you have any evidence of that i said that's a that's a pretty serious allegation to to wager against the church and he said that he had two separate stories that he believed with similar patterns of cover-up yeah. And I said, well, that's multiple witnesses. Right. And so my wife and I, through, obviously, there's an element of having to take people at their word. Uh, and, and there's an element of investigation in that if there's two, there's going to be more. Right. Because the patterns that give abusers opportunities to abuse don't go away automatically. Yeah. And the pattern of cover-up becomes entrenched very quickly and very easily into a culture where you have condensed authority in one person in an organization. Hmm. And so uh, my wife and I just started asking questions to people that generally knew what was going on in the church. And uh, we became absolutely convinced that the cover-ups were true. Uh, Through those stories, through additional stories uh, that we had heard. And so uh, starting about two and a half years ago, uh, if you want to call us victims advocates, uh, whatever you want to call us, our purpose is to give the victims a platform, a megaphone, to make sure that justice can be done for them. Right. So what are some signs you should look for in a church that, you know, because again, no one thinks this is going to happen in my church. And unless it happens to me, um, maybe I'm, I'm in blissful ignorance. And let's kind of burst that bubble for a second. Are are there any signs that uh, some of this stuff may be taking place that, should be red flags that are popping up. You know, one of the stark contrasts to me between fundamentalist preaching and preaching like at a church that I'm at now yeah. is the amount of yelling that doesn't take place. Mm. And so 
not saying that it's always bad for a preacher to yell or that a preacher should never get excited when yeah. when they're preaching but if there's regular yelling um i think that that can be a warning sign mm. and that was one of the things that i was really really desensitized to that a couple of years, uh, about six or eight months ago, I heard a, a younger fundamentalist preacher. He was still going to college at Hiles Anderson, and he took off, and it was a 10 the whole time. And it not just like a, I'm, I'm yelling because I want to be loud 10, but like a, I'm yelling at you 10. Yeah. And uh, so that's, that's one thing that I would look for. Um, but red flags that there might be cover-ups in your church. Um, I, I might be kind of jaded at, at some of these, uh, but there are just some things that I look back on that are, are kind of questionable. Uh, we had staff members that would come and go sometimes very quietly. Mm. And we have other staff members that went away not necessarily as quietly, uh, but come to find out that the reason that they left is because they were involved in something that they shouldn't have been involved in. Yeah. And they never should have left. They should have been reported to the police and arrested. Mm. Um, so if you have a high staff turnover, and again, I I only went, I, I've only been a member of two churches in my life, so I don't yeah. know how much of what I'm saying is uh, just common occurrence in church culture or how much of it really is a red flag. Yeah. Um, but those are just some of the things that I'm looking back on that, uh, again, not any of the key staff members, but enough of the staff members circled in yeah. and out over the years that that looking back, it's it, it brings suspicion on all of them. Yeah. Um, Another thing I would add, if you're in a church atmosphere or if, you, if, if you're suspicious about something, but you're not allowed to ask questions about it, I, that would Absolutely. be a major red flag. If, if, if no one is willing to sit down and talk with you about this, uh, this fact, you know, uh, I was in a church once where I kind of had my suspicions about a particular person. I talked to the pastor, and he sat down with me. We talked it through. Um, he said, listen, I don't think that's an accurate description of what's going on, but let me look into that. And got back to me, and we sat down, and it just turned out that there was nothing necessarily going on. But he took the time, you know, at first he was like, I don't think, but he said, you know what, let me look into it first before I start talking. And I was open, that's what, and he said, you know, and if you want to ask more about this, please, let's meet again. Sure. And so I was, I was happy with that. Um, but I've also been in church situations where, no, you don't, you don't ask questions. The pastor... The man of God there is, you know, he's in charge. You just let him handle anything. And that's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, ultimately, I would say that it comes down to uh, how authoritarian the church is. Hmm. Um, and everyone's going to have different tolerances for that. But ultimately, it comes down to, I think, recognizing legalism, recognizing what authority the Bible does give to your pastor, what authority it does not give hmm. to your pastor. 
Um, and I recognize the line of thought that says, well, he's my spiritual leader and every decision is really a spiritual decision. So I need to check with my spiritual leader first. Yeah. And, uh, but on the other hand, fundamentalists will be the first to say that you don't need a man to go between you and Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so really a, the, the preacher's purview is the purview of the Bible, right? So, uh, the Bible has some, some financial guidance. Uh, I mean, that, that would be one word for it. There's over 2000 verses yeah. <laughs> in the Bible on money and finances. Um, technically your pastor could speak very well into your finance, the financial areas of your life. As far as principles of stewardship and debt and things like that. Um, but there's a lot of areas the Bible doesn't talk about, like which health care plan you should choose. Yeah. And ultimately, that's not a spiritual decision. Sure, you could ask your pastor, what principles should I use to help me make this decision? If, if you have a question as to whether or not there should be some spiritual principles guiding that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, don't, if you don't feel that way or you don't think that the Bible teaches that there are spiritual implications to that decision, that's not really something you got to involve your pastor with. And so anything where, um, where there's an authority structure where one person has the potential to be unquestioned in even one area of what they do. All right. Let's take it from a different perspective. Let's say, you know, you're the person being abused. What advice do you have that person who, um, whether it's, you know, a youth pastor and a young person or even just pastor, you know, we, we, we hate to think of these situations, but they happen. Absolutely. And that person is scared to death. They don't know what to do. What's your advice? Call the police. Hmm. So we don't just let the church handle this. Absolutely yeah. not. Um, the Bible is very clear that there are three God-given institutions for Christians today. Yeah. Uh, government, church, and family. Right. And there are special privileges and benefits to being under those leadership umbrellas when they are properly executing their God-given role. Uh, so government has a specific role. The church has a specific role. Uh, there's actually a really good sermon from an IFB pastor that I listened to a couple of months ago on 1 Timothy chapter 5 dealing with allegations against uh, ministry staff. And it it was absolutely spot on. And it's that if you receive allegations that cannot quickly be determined to be true or false based on two or three pieces of of evidence, it is beyond your ability to investigate. And you either need to report it to the police or hire for for illegal matters or hire an outside firm that has the capabilities of doing an investigation (laughs) in areas that concern morality but not illegal behavior. So, yeah, this is a serious topic, and, and I know you've taken a lot of heat for your role in, in your previous church, and you continue to be an advocate there. Um, what advice do you have to other people who want to step in and, you know, not necessarily put their nose in where it doesn't belong, 
but we do need to be an advocate for others in church. So, you know, if, if you're suspecting that there's something going on, what are your first steps? If, if you suspect that a child is being abused or, or a teenager or whatever, um, the first thing I would say is that abusers don't just groom their victims. They groom everyone around them so that they create an environment that is not friendly to receiving allegations. So if somebody has come to you or if you have heard whispers of allegations, because that's, let's be honest, that's usually how it goes. Uh, when we started asking questions, I was absolutely appalled at the number of people in the church that either knew about it or suspected it, but didn't do anything. All right, so we're going to wrap up here. I just noticed we're, we're running short on time. Um, and I want to thank you for coming on, not just coming on, but we have had all sorts of technical issues <laughs> in this short little podcast, and um, you've dealt with them well. You've been very generous uh, with your time and just with your patience. So thank you for that, and thank all of you for listening. And, and you know, just a couple, just one last final question I usually ask is, are there any resources you recommend for people who want to get a little deeper into this or just want to get more involved? Uh, there's an organization called Grace. Hmm. It stands for Godly Response to Abuse in a Christian Environment. Uh, it is run by Boz Chivigian, I think is how yeah. you pronounce Chivigian. it. Yeah. Uh, they have excellent resources on abuse in Christian environments. That's probably where I would start. Yeah. Um, and then uh, if somebody wanted to reach out to me directly for particular questions or resources, I'd be happy to make recommendations. All right. And we'll have that link to Grace on our website as well, uh, so you can access that. A lot of good materials on there. And so we want to thank you for joining us again this week. So join us back next week. We'll have another great podcast for you. Uh, until then, check out our website at www.basicbiblepodcast.org where you can find all of those resources. And then check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Basic Biblecast. Don't forget to join our conversation in our Facebook group. So until next week, have a great rest of your week. <laughs>